Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we try to stay on topic while discussing Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 28, which begins with Max trying to get his gas so he can leave, and it ends with the black-on-black being towed into the compound. Max, much like us, is desperately trying to keep everyone that's surrounding him on subject so that he can talk about getting his gasoline. Are you kidding? We don't We don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> but we Max is a, much more persistent than we We make we are. a noble effort, as much as it may not seem like it at times. <laughs> Sometimes these other subjects just crop up out of nowhere, like us discussing semi-related notes, just like here, where Papagallo is obsessed with finding out more information about these lost scouts, when all Max wants to do is just fill up and go. And so Max says, listen, they were in heaps of trouble. He said, if I brought him back, you'd get me some gas. And he's really trying to push the issue because there's not much time. He is successful. They do kind of drop the subject of the other scouts when they pay attention to Max and realize what he wants Mm -hmm. because they don't want to give it to him. So then they divert their efforts into... Not giving Max gas. Not everyone is willing to drop it because into the crowd pushes... Very true. ...this new person. Mm -hmm. He's called the quiet man. And I don't know, I might just have been in a mood when I was putting my notes together, but I think a more appropriate name would be the rude man because he just kind of pushes in. And he was like... Max is like, there's not much time. And he pushes in. He's like, there was a woman in the car. What happened to her? And it's like, dude, you're interrupting. Wow. That's rude. He not even he didn't even say excuse me. Like, you know, everyone is very concerned about these scouts. What happened to them? But, you know, Max and Papagallo were having a very important conversation. It was the two of them. And he just swoops in out of left field and just butts his way in. Very rude. Wow. You were in a mood when you yeah. wrote your notes. Not to me is he the quiet man. He is the rude man. Wow. I, <laughs> I like don't even know where to begin. It's because um, I'm right. On how wrong you are. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's going to butt in. He makes it clear, you can tell from his demeanor, aside from just being labeled the quiet man, that... He has genuine concern, and he has a reason to be concerned, because the person who was actually with his woman, whatever their relationship was, is dying on the table over there. So his need for information is immediate and relevant. So you think he had some sort of relationship with Kathleen McKay's character? Yes, I do. Okay. I think they were, I guess it would be a lot to say paired in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it could have been, I mean, they could have been brother and sister. They could have been just close friends. It's not necessarily a coupling, but that's kind of what I got from it. I got from it that it was a sad sort of concern, like his heart's broken. That's just what I gleaned. And I, I think it's much like the relationship between Wes and the Golden Youth, 
We are given little bits of information and you interpret it how you want to. Mm -hmm. We're not given enough information to know for certain. How we interpret those relationships says something about ourselves. Yeah. Like what was she to him or him to her? And I mean, we can speculate. Any one of those options you put forward, it's incredibly viable. It definitely explains why he's so adamant about finding out about her fate. I like the idea of there still being relationships in a broken down society. There are still relationships of various sorts. Mm -hmm. Like we've noticed many times before, society has broken down, but it's already rebuilding itself. And part of society is relationships. Yeah, when you really break it down, societies and communities are kind of built around those small familial units. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that unit biologically, it's human nature to develop those units. Yeah. There's plenty of people yeah. out there who don't have blood family around them on a daily basis that they would call family, but they form family. It's just a natural thing that we do. I still think it was a romantic relationship because I think it's sweet. Yeah. This quiet man... He was played by David Slingsby, which, as it comes to last names, that's <laughs> that's a unique one right there, Slingsby. He is best known, according to IMDb, for The Road Warrior, where he's the quiet man, Quigley Down Under, where he plays Mullion, I want to say. He was in The Coca-Cola Kid where he played a waiter, and he was in the TV movie Sahara. Sahara? I don't know. It's it's, it... it's a desert. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, is it referring to a place or a person? The, it's referring to the desert. Okay. Where he played Mueller. You'll recognize the movie Quigley Down Under because we mentioned it yes. on Monday when we were talking about William Zappa. It's not unusual for us to see overlap like this. Australians in the Mad Max movie showing up in other projects from other cast members and whatnot. It's not unusual. What is unusual is those movies cropping up more than one time in a week. <laughs> Which is the exact know. situation we got here. This week, it's a thick week. It so is a thick week. I, I think we're going to see more of this crossover mm -hmm. just in this one week. Moving on to the Coca-Cola Kid. Gotta say, like the title. If it was <laughs> Pepsi Boy or something like that, I would not like it as much. The Pepsi Boy. So, the Coca-Cola Kid. It, it has a ring to it. It was directed by Dusan Makaveev. Sounds Russian. It was written by... By Frank Morehouse and Denny Lawrence. The whole story of the Coca-Cola kid is you have this American Coke executive. He comes from Atlanta to Australia because there's like one little pocket of Australia that isn't selling Coke. And so he has come to push the product and make it thrive in this area. It just so happens that the reason that Coke is not thriving is because there's like a local soft drink maker dominating the market. That's one last holdout, keeping the corporate clutches of Coke from invading the area and so huh. this executive guy played by eric roberts is there and he's helped by his secretary greta scatchy i think her name is it's them trying to break into this market trying to crush the independent yeah producer and expand their empire mm -hmm. and just because it's a feel-good comedy eventually he kind of starts to resent his cog in the machine position and he's falling for his secretary and there's a crazy waiter who thinks that eric roberts is a secret agent and that crazy waiter is played is... by david slingsby okay <laughs> well he does kind of have crazy eyes yeah and he has crazy hair for certain in in this scene in mad max i don't know if his hair is just kind of always like that or if that was special for Mad Max. That's crazy hair. 
Well, in the Coca-Cola kid, his hair is kind of combed down to be a bit more in control, but it's still the it, same guy. It's, it's still, still very same. obviously the same guy. <laughs> Last on the best known list is the movie Sahara from 1995. It is a made-for-TV movie. It was directed by Brian Trenchard Smith, written by Philip McDonald and David Phillips. It stars Jim Belushi of According oh. to Jim fame as Sergeant Joe Gunn. Real subtle there. <laughs> he is a tank commander who, along with his men and a group of assorted stragglers that they pick up along the way, they try to keep a limited supply of water away from the Nazis. It's not to be confused with any of the other movies called Sahara, of which there are many. For instance, there's the 2005 Matthew McConaughey movie, Sahara. Yeah, that's that's what popped into my head. I'm not like super familiar with that movie, mm -hmm. but I know it exists. There's also a movie made this year, 2017, called Sahara. There was one made in 1983, 1943. There was the TV movie we're talking about now. There was a short called Sahara in 2007. There was a French one made in 1928, which is also known as Sahara. You've got a TV miniseries in 2002. There's a 1945, a 1958, 1929, 1997, 1943. Like, people love calling their project Sahara. Okay, I have a question about that. I always kind of assumed, I guess, that movie names were, like, copyrighted so not at all i don't think so okay because i was wondering maybe this one couldn't be copyrighted because it was the the name of a place you can't copyright that if you but go no... on imdb <laughs> and search for the word sahara yeah and you do show me all of the titles of the exact matches it gives 31 results wow of which a third are just the individual titles of TV episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah episodes. Yeah. Which means there are like 20 some odd movies that are either directly titled as Sahara mm -hmm. or also known as Sahara. Because some of them are like Love in the Desert or Lost in the Sahara or yeah. that French one, Beau Sabre. There's a lot. It's, it's not exactly unique. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's David Slingsby. While we're on the subject of The Quiet Man, have you ever seen the movie The Quiet Man? We're going no, on a tangent, by the way. The, um... I'm taking you for a ride. Oh, gosh. Who's in that one? That is John Wayne and Maureen O'Hare. That's what it is. It is a 1952 movie set in Ireland. The first time I saw it, I was told, I think it was by my mother, that it had the greatest fight scene ever in all movies. And this was like a fact. It wasn't mm. just like her personal opinion. Doubtful. Have you wait? I forget. Did you say you had seen it or not? I have not seen it. Well, then you don't know. Okay. Have you seen They Live? No. With Rowdy Roddy Piper and no. I don't know like how true that is, but talk about a movie with women issues. <laughs> <laughs> the entire premise of the movie is like buying and selling a woman. Okay. And she, at the very end, she tries to run away. She tries to leave him after they've been married. She tries to leave him. So she goes to the train station and he finds out and he goes tromping after her. Big old John Wayne. And the Duke. on the way there, I think it happens on the way there that he has a following because people realize what he's doing. He's going to get his woman back. This little old lady comes up next to him, hands him a stick and says a stick to beat the lovely lady with 
and he takes it and he hits her with the stick and he just so he he gets to the train station and he just grabs her by the wrist and starts walking home across the irish countryside and and then he ends up having like a knockdown drag out with her brother it's a good movie it is i know it has women issues but sometimes you got to look past that sometimes you can't judge old movies by the standards of the era in which you're watching it yes yeah i know well, I know. We, we're, that's what we're doing here with Mad Max, but I don't know. Having never seen The Quiet Man and never having sat down to watch this knockdown dragout fight between John Wayne and this other character's brother, I find it hard to accept that it is the greatest fight in movie history because in They Live, Rowdy Roddy Piper is the main character and he has found special glasses that let him see through the holographic facade of society to show that there are like aliens controlling humankind through subliminal messages. Okay. And so he's trying to convince his friend Keith David to put on these sunglasses so that he can see through the facade of society. And Keith David does not want to put on these sunglasses. And so they have an amazing fist fight yeah. in an alley. And it is just a bare knuckle brawl, knockdown, drag out. Things getting thrown around and dudes just getting punched and knocked flat and getting back up again. It is yeah. the most amazing fist fight and realistic fight scene that I've ever seen in a movie. I am willing to bet if you put those two side by side, They Live is going to be better. You know what we're going to have to do? Watch the watch both movies and compare. We're going to have to find the fight scene from They Live. And the fight scene from The Quiet Man, we're going to have to find those on YouTube, post them side by side in the listeners page, and we're going to have to let people vote. Yeah. So. Well, I'll have at least one vote on my side, because my mother is a listener. <laughs> Hi, Mom. I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Another kind of knockout, drag out thing that we've been dealing with all through this movie, and this is as good a time as any to bring it up. I was editing episodes the other day, and we have gotten so caught up with the idea of characters in this movie not being given proper names and we're kind of propping up kathleen mckay's character and virginia hayes character primarily women that they're not being given proper names and so i looked through the cast list and there are if you include the narrator 26 actors in the end credits underneath cast only seven of them have proper names. Okay. And this is male characters, female characters, both only seven, which is less than a third yeah. of the overall cast being given proper names. Now, how many of those unnamed characters who don't have proper names, how many of them are nicknames like so, The Quiet Man or Warrior Woman? So I think we can eliminate narrator and, and dog. Yes. Yes. So I that agree. brings it down to like 24. Max has a proper name. Papagallo is a proper name. Wes, Lord Humongous, Zeta, Big Rebecca, and Nathan. Okay. And that's it for proper names. Okay. I definitely see I mean, your, technically, your point, and I see where you're going with this, but I'm also wondering how many people who are not on that list of seven that you just said have monikers that don't have a negative connotation. So two of them are identified as tent lover, and I think because lover they have a- as um, in they love each other? Or no. No, they're having sex in a tent. Okay. So you've got those two. You've also got Bear Claw Mohawk, 
which you I could feel like argue that's his name. that could be a name, but it is also a description because he has yes. a bear claw and a mohawk. And right. so that's like naming it's someone so, shirt pants. Right. It's so hard <laughs> to tell if their name was something they chose for themselves or something that their parents gave them, like mm-hmm. Rebecca and Nathan. We've already talked about victim, Kathleen McKay's character. Yep. And then we've got Grinning Mohawker, who met his end mm-hmm. at uh, via <laughs> bolt cutters. Yeah. You've got Golden Youth. Okay. Which is a description. It, it's yeah. Not I, a it, it's not... Name. You've got the... Two poor souls strapped to the front of the Lord Humongous's car. And that's what they're called? Broken victim and oh. defiant victim. Oh, okay, okay. You've got the mechanics assistant, quiet man, curmudgeon, mm-hmm. which you could argue could be a name, but it's really just a description. It really He's is a just curmudgeon. a description. He's an old guy. Yeah. You've got mechanic, the captain's girl, warrior woman, feral child, which, you know, it's a description. It's not a name. Right. Uh, you've got the toady, which you could argue toady could be like a nickname, but it's also... A label? A label. Okay. And then you've got, of course, the gyro captain. He is such a large part of this movie. Yeah, it's weird that he doesn't get a name. But yeah, I, I feel like it, okay. we should have called attention to the fact that it wasn't just female characters that were getting the short end of the stick. It's actually like a lot of cast members mm-hmm. whose sticks are you know, short. I will admit that when we were talking about the rape scene, I definitely was very emotional about it. I was angry about it. And so I can admit that I was looking for more fault. Mm-hmm. I don't think these statistics that you've brought up absolve oh, certainly George not. Miller specifically about naming her victim because the other victims get some sort of description. Mm-hmm. Broken victim, defiant victim. She could have been scout victim. Victim. Something a bit more than what it was. Right. Something a little bit more descriptive. But no, she was just a victim. I don't want to retread all of that. No. But I am willing to admit that I jumped to finding fault when there's more fault to be found than just women. I kind of get bent out of shape by the fact that so many people don't have proper names because when you go back to Mad Max 79, everybody has a proper name. Yeah. You go very... down that cast list. I mean. Yeah. It's very impressive <laughs> how many people have. Especially of the the biker gang. Yeah. They all have names and they all have individual personalities that you see in different ways throughout the movie. Toe Cutter, you've got Ziggy, the sheriff guy, Sars and Scuttle had yeah. very small part all, of the movie, yeah, but they had names. Yeah, all the had names. had names. Labatouche, the yeah, guy in charge C. of the money. Yeah, he was on screen less than a minute. And he you had know. a name. Kundalini, Charlie, Roop, Bubba Zanetti had two names. He had two names. I mean, I kind of see Zeta and the warrior woman as Papagallo's left and right hands. Yeah, his lieutenants. Yeah. If Zeta gets a cool name, where's warrior woman's cool name? Right. George did so well in that first movie when it came to coming up with creative names. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Okay. Quiet Man has interjected himself into the conversation. He's asked about the woman in the car and Max, he kind of gives David, which is the actor's name, but we're going to call Quiet Man David because it's easier that way. He gives him a quick once over. You can kind of see he kind of looks him up and down before telling him that she's dead. Kind of a quick band-aid pull. He's able to kind of size up David and come to the quick conclusion that he he can't really handle the full description of what happened. Right. He does seem emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. You can see it in his eyes. So it's this guy's inability to really handle the true answer that kinda, uh, he says to Max, what did they do? And I'm like, dude, don't ask questions 
that you're not prepared to get the answer for. And Max is very much the same way. He says, it was quick. I just want my guess. He's trying to desperately to get back on topic. Yeah. As we discussed in the scene where she was shot, we're not so sure it was quick. Right. I mean, she... She was shot in the hip area, where we think was the appendix area. Mm -hmm. So that would have been slow and painful. Max may have just flat out lied to him. In this case, much easier to lie. Yes. I think it was an appropriate lie. Right. Max, very adamant, he wants to leave. The warrior woman, who is standing behind him she's got her knife to him she says for all we know he's one of them and then she looks at papagallo and she says give him nothing she, she is, is such a badass in this movie scary and okay did you she's one how, of my favorites did you notice how shiny her knife was it's very shiny which means she takes care of it very which polished. means it's very sharp i really like how in this scene she handles max the same way that max handles bruce yes dragging him around and being very rough with him yep. very threatening i get such a kick out of it getting into virginia hay specifically she is best known for her first role here as warrior woman 1981 she also had a really long run on farscape between 1999 and 2002 she was in like 50 episodes and i think there's only 88 episodes so she was in a huge chunk a large of them. part of it. She was also in the 1987 Bond film, The Living Daylights. And the fourth film that she's known for, according to IMDb, is called Pathos Segreta Inquietudine in 1988. I think it's Italian, which means I butchered it. <laughs> she started her career as a model which I think is pretty easy to see with those cheekbones. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. When you have cheekbones like that, you become a model. She was discovered, according to the trivia page on IMDb, while she was waiting for a bus. I guess the casting director for the movie drove by and said, <laughs> I want her for the warrior woman part. Okay. So they just kind of picked her up. Since then, she's appeared in nearly 30 different acting roles on like movies and television and voice acting appearances she's got like several more projects that are either announced or in post-production and she's still like making the rounds making appearances and things like that nice i can't say too much about farscape because i was gonna ask about that surprisingly i have never seen an episode of farscape now in my head and i haven't i've never seen either of these shows i think of farscape and oh crap what's the one with the gate Stargate? Stargate. In my head, they're the same show. Mm -hmm. Are they anything alike? Farscape, from what I've seen, is a sci-fi television show. I think it's either made by or produced by Jim Henson's Creature Factory. Yeah. I checked it out on IMDb, and this is the cover picture. It's, yeah. It's weird. It's very like Jim Henson. It's a Muppet. This is not Muppet. the first time we've brought up Farscape, because we mentioned it when we were talking about Jonathan Hardy back in Mad Max 79. The guy who played Labatouche came back and offered his voice to one of the puppeted characters. That's kind of a connection back to the yes, series. Considering there he is. Considering there are less than 100 episodes, I feel like we should go back and watch it. I feel like yeah. I'm doing myself a disservice not having seen this show. As far as the Bond movie is concerned, The Living Daylights was the 15th Bond film. It was the first to feature Timothy Dalton. Virginia oh. Hay does not play a Bond girl okay. in the movie I'm because cool she is the either mistress or companion or escort for John Rhys Davies' character, General Leonid Pushkin. Timothy Dalton is 
hunting down Pushkin because another character told him to, and so he hunts him down to his hotel room. When John Reese davies comes back to the hotel room, Bond is already there, and Virginia Hay is in the hotel room with him. As he's trying to interrogate John Reese davies Reese davies activates a distress beacon, and his bodyguard is going to bust in the room. Bond, being the consummate gentleman that he is, and I say that with every ounce of sarcasm that I can muster, even though it may not have sounded that way, his strategy for taking out this bodyguard is to grab Virginia Hay, rip off her robe, and leave her standing in the middle of the room topless as this bodyguard comes into the room. Bodyguard comes in, his eyes bug out at what he's seeing, and then Bond just kind of blindsides him. And then he grabs, like, a tablecloth, throws it at Virginia Hay, and says, lock yourself in the bathroom. And she does. Talk about movies with female problems. Yeah. I think that's true of pretty much all of the Bond films, though. Yeah. Definitely a product of their time. I think Virginia Hay does crop up later in the movie because James Bond and Pushkin, they kind of conspire to fake Pushkin's death as a way to draw out other people. Virginia Hay gets to come back as this guy's companion, but she's not clued in on the fake assassination, and so she gives some, like, good upset that her companion was killed type performances. Ah, okay. It's not like she's reduced to just standing there topless for one scene. Right. She does get to do some... Some actual acting. acting. Yeah. So in this last one, the... Italian one, Pathos, I'm not going to say the rest of it. Yeah, it was directed by Piccio Raffanini and written by Jacques Goyard, Piccio Raffanini, and you know, you Lydia Rivera. You could have just not talked about the fourth movie. It's important because when you look at the information page for this fourth movie, Virginia Hay is like right up at the top of the list. The main character of this movie, Lieutenant Arnold, he's like the fourth or fifth one down. Virginia Hay's character of Diane, she plays a photographer that's helping this detective find a serial killer that is like stalking Rome's sexual underground. IMDb is really strange with how it describes it because it calls it a horror mystery sci-fi movie but another website describes it as an erotic thriller so i'm not quite sure what it is i think that's just because it's italian the information page on wikipedia is in italian and has to be translated to english for me to read it because i'm an american and i only speak one language lastly and probably most importantly virginia hay was a voice in an episode of rick and morty alongside Uh, her farscape co-star claudia black claudia black played the Gazorpian leader Masha and Virginia Hay played the unnamed Gazorpian with kind of the brown hair and the red skirt that accompanies Masha, Rick, and Summer on their tour of the Gazorpian breeding facility. Virginia Hay gets to deliver the line about how male Gazorpians are the most violent and dangerous beings in the galaxy. Ah, oh, yes, I remember that now. Yeah, she also gets to lean into Masha and be like, talk about how grandfather is a word that means father of father or something like that to expose the patriarchy of the world that Rick and Summer come from. It's fun to hear people crop up in Rick and Morty because I love that show. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that really stands out to me about Virginia Hay is how much she physically resembles Lena Headey in my eyes. Yeah. And in the 
alternate reality of Game of Thrones where Cersei and Jaime and Tyrion, where their mother didn't die giving birth to Tyrion, that Virginia Hay would have played Joanna Lannister, like right up there alongside Charles Dance, because their physical resemblance is enough to really justify it. Plus, then we get Virginia Hay in Game of Thrones, and that would be freaking awesome. Yeah, I could see that. Once the warrior woman said, give him nothing, the curmudgeon kind of chimes in. She's like, she's right. He's a parasite. And so the warrior woman continues and she's like trading in human flesh, mercenary trash. Like every line she has. Yeah, she's really going at so it. So fun. So fun. Max is standing there and he's listening to these people say these terrible things about him. And he's just trying to get across to Papagallo that they had a deal, him and Nathan. And so Virginia Hay has her knife to Max's throat and he kind of reaches up with his fingers and he kind of pinches each side of the blade and kind of pulls the knife away from his neck as he steps forward. So he can kind of lead Papagallo a little closer to where Nathan is being worked on. And he's like, listen, we had an arrangement and Zeta, who's there as Papagallo's right or left hand I don't know he's like what do you mean an arrangement he's very snooty about it Max is like listen just just talk to Nathan and that's when we hear big Rebecca and she is like wailing because they need to do something try anything to help Nathan but Nathan is yeah I think he's already gone no amount of shouting and pleading is going to help him now. <laughs> Once the camera goes over to Nathan and the group, they're pretty much calling time of death. Yeah. They're done. There's like this blonde guy that's like presumably the compound's doctor. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of leaning back and shaking his head. And Archie Whitley's there trying to console Big Rebecca. The other day when I looked up the idea of collapsing lungs, there was a little chunk on the WebMD website about how to treat a collapsed lung. You can start by giving oxygen through a mask, which yep, is what Archie Whitley saw. does. More serious cases, probably like the one we see here, you have to insert a needle or a chest tube into the cavity and then kind of use that to relieve the pressure that is building up around the lung so that it can re-expand. Oh, okay, okay. And so if they don't find a way to equalize that pressure, which obviously they didn't, he suffocated. Mm -hmm. And of course they say that surgery may be needed if the original treatment does not work or or the pneumothorax returns. There was like no hope for Nathan. They probably focused a lot on the fact that his leg was bleeding. They probably neglected his lungs, and it's just not great. Yeah, we really have no idea what level of training the two who were working on him had. Yeah. I hesitate to even call them doctors or nurses. <laughs> we never really saw them do much more than help him breathe. Yeah. I'm not sure they were doing that right. So with Nathan dead, Papagallo looks at Max and he's like, listen, if you had a contract, it was between you and him. I have nothing to do with it. And this why you always get your contracts in writing. Yes. I don't know where Max would have found right. paper which or is a challenge, legal advice. But, but Which is why Max doesn't fight it. He doesn't really give any expression, any emotion away at all, but he doesn't fight it. It's hard to argue. He would have done the same thing. If yeah. he were in Papagallo's position and a deal was made with a dead man, well, then the deal is dead. That's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. And Papagallo just says straight up, get rid of him and so warrior woman grabs max by the hair points her knife at him and says move it and they just start walking off towards the gate yeah and i have questions so many questions about what he means by get rid of him yeah because they are 
currently towing his car into the compound, which is something that Papagallo said the other day. Get that car inside. Papagallo has now told them to get rid of him. The mechanic has interacted with the black-on-black in such a way that it kind of seems like they're just not going to give him his car back? Like, are they just going to kick him out? Yeah. That is... It does seem like they have taken possession of the car. That is... Which we'll see more of tomorrow. Tantamount to just... Like, they might as well just put an arrow in his head. If they're going to kick him out of the compound without his vehicle... They might as well just kill him because it's going to happen without a vehicle. They are coded as the good guys. They are coded as virtuous and righteous and correct. They're wearing white for goodness sake. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they are good people. Yeah. It just means that they're not the bad people outside who are trying to kill them. <laughs> it just means that they are opposite from the marauders. Exactly. But they're n- they're not necessarily good people. Yeah. Max they... has a lot of good reason not to trust them. Yeah. So. You know, we're going to learn a lot more about individual personalities and we'll be able to make judgments on whether or not they're virtuous or righteous or bad people or whatever. But to begin with, They're not really giving us much goodness to work on. I guess the fact that they didn't kill him right away. What we'll do, we'll put a pin in this conversation, we'll wrap it up for today, and we'll come back tomorrow, talk a little bit more about this situation of them apparently stealing his car. That'll be fun. Come back for that. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 28 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.